Hello and welcome back everyone for season two of the Haunted Historian podcast. In the months since our last episodes, we've been able to explore and document some truly unique haunts, meet some incredible new people, and hear some of the most chilling tales of paranormal encounters we've ever come across. And we intend to share it all with you right here on the show. Starting with the newly established Airbnb in the mining town of Jackson, California, whose owner invited us out to help document the estimated 15 spirits that have been haunting her newly purchased property, leaving her terrified to be alone at night and desperate for answers. So sit back, turn off the lights and enjoy. This is Bethany's home sweet haunted home. As most of you listening know, The Haunted Historian is based around finding locations that are not often investigated or even more so have never had people step forth inside of their walls in a paranormal capacity in their entire history. And I start off by saying that because a lot of the investigations that we take care of, they come from outreach that we receive over our social media channels. And one such message that I received in the middle of the summer ended up turning into what is truly one of the most horrifying and unique investigations of my life. By now, a lot of you may have seen the videos that I put on TikTok, that I put on Instagram of what is called Bethany's Home Sweet Haunted Home. And it is located about one hour southeast of Sacramento, California, in the very, very, very small mining town of Jackson, California. A small little area that I had never heard of before and that I was about to fly uh, about an hour north to get up to and be able to lock down inside of before other investigators had the opportunity to begin doing so. Essentially, to give a name and to give some credibility and to give some reach to a lot of the activity that she had been experiencing in her home since buying it in January of 2022. The house was 3,200 square feet, two stories, about seven or eight rooms, inclusive with a massive, I would estimate, 800 square foot unfinished basement hole in the wall that went under the earth. So it was very clear to me that for safety reasons and to get as much evidence as possible, I could not go on this investigation alone. I reached out to an investigator that I very often work with based out of uh, Brooklyn, New York, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Silvia Oliveres. To give you some background, Jackson, California was a mining town back in the 1800s. During this time, it was very similar to what it is now. A single street that was then filled with brothels, a hotel, uh, mining operation, gold just down the hill a bit. And today, 
it has not changed much. All of the brothels have changed into antique stores. Uh, the hotel at the very end of the one road in Jackson is still operational. In fact, it is now the longest running hotel in America, which was shocking to hear of all places to find such a structure, but there it was. And then overlooking the entire town is a massive cemetery with some modern graves, but uh, more interestingly, a lot of the graves of the miners who died in fires back in the 1800s. Despite being just one state over, storms were littering the Southwest on the day that I was traveling out to Sacramento to rent a car and head over to Jackson. So what was meant to be a three and a half hour journey turned into a 12 hour ordeal. I did not step foot inside of Bethany's home sweet haunted home, this lovely Airbnb until 3 a.m right on time for witching hour, which sounds silly, but in my head was made all the sense in the world, especially as on this first night, I was staying there completely alone. I walk to the front doors, motion activated lights, and I just stare at what is just like something out of a storybook. There are library walls that are just running along the lengths of the home, creaking wooden floors, a grand staircase winding into a basement beneath, hallways leading into back rooms, and in what was honestly the most unsettling part, windows in all of the rooms that looked into all of the adjacent rooms, hmm. which was which which honestly just made for um a dissettling experience there. I was just waiting for something to walk by one of those windows my entire trip. I walk into the home, I set my suitcase and my equipment down in the biggest bedroom that I can find and I walked back out into the main room. I was exhausted. I didn't have time for any kind of an investigation. I didn't even really have time or the energy to roam the entire house. I just stood in the center of the hallway and spoke clearly and spoke decisively, informing whatever spirits may be there who I was, what I was here to do, that I was friends with Elsie and that I was here simply to communicate with them no idea how many of them there are. I don't know the full extent of the haunting there. All I know is that Elsie has bought a home and it has a variety of ghosts and she is afraid to be there at parts of the day because this is not something she's ever done. So I lay down in bed. It is a very uneventful night. Thank goodness I did not want to get there at 3 a.m. and you know have shit hit the fan. But I knew waking up that the first full day there, prior to Sylvia arriving around noon, that the investigation was going to begin bright and early, especially since you're living amongst them. And I had been informed that for whatever reason, the spirits are far more active during the daytime. So I wake up first thing that morning, I open up all the windows, get as much natural light in there that I can. I walk about the various bedrooms. I go downstairs, I check out the basement, I look at the kitchen, 
I, uh, I hadn't even gone to the restroom when I got there. I was so exhausted. So I found out where all the restrooms were. And I'm just getting a lay of the land for the home. And I can't, I can't make this up how fast the, the evidence began piling in that morning when I was alone. It was so unexpected and so in my face that after about 30 minutes of having woken up, I decided, you know what, <laughs> let's, let's uh, grab my wallet, phone and keys, and let's just head into town and not come back here until Sylvia's back. Essentially what happened is I went to the restroom, I showered, and I started walking back down the hall towards the main living room. And as I did so, I hear a woman behind me. I stop, I turn around, and I am looking both at the windows that are, again, juxtaposed in different parts of the walls, looking into different rooms, and at the opening at the end of the hall I just come from. What I had heard was a woman, uh, sound like she was in her 30s, just say hello. And I turned around, I called for Elsie. If she had arrived this morning, I knew she was coming sometime. Nobody responded to me. And as I turned around, chalking it up to a strange occurrence or hearing things and being in my own head, I began walking towards the living room. You hear footsteps that are running down the stairs. Now, mind you, this is a, this is a very dated house. So when I am walking quickly back towards the stairs to see who it is, it's not a matter of what was that, it's a matter of who was that. It was the most definitive set of footsteps sprinting down these rickety stairs and it sent chills up my spine. And you could see and hear what was like this gust or this force moving into the kitchen, which weirdly is in the basement. Now this was kind of adding up with what Elsie had shared with me. In its past, the home had been a brothel. It had been a speakeasy. It had been used as a boarding home. And over the course of all of that time, there had been suicides, there had been murders, there had been deaths inside the home of miners who were in mining accidents and brought back to the home to be operated on only to die in its front doors. So she informed me that most of the things you hear, most of the things that you see even, are going to center around that little hallway at the bottom of the stairs in the basement. So I heard that, I grabbed my keys, I walked out and I went and I got breakfast in a local spot. I didn't want to stick around there too much longer. But it was interesting because it was the very first piece of definitive evidence I'd experienced that I could say, all right, Elsie is not crazy. Something is happening inside of her home. I sent a message to Sylvia informing her of what had just happened. She was in the air and uh, en route to the Airbnb herself. And she was very excited to hear that. Well, yeah, because, I mean, we can spend almost all night sitting in a haunted spot and not get anything close to what you just experienced. And literally without even trying, you already have an educated voice talking to you and then footsteps and that force moving into the kitchen. So. You can spend eight hours in a spot and not get any of that. The best way to describe the Airbnb, there was no evidence that was in and of itself unique. It was all kind of baseline evidence, but everything that you experienced on that baseline was grade A. Things that you could go into sanitariums or hospitals or asylums or world-renowned mansions and you wouldn't experience things to this degree. Right. So it was very unsettling. 
And I'm, you know, I'm looking at photos of this location on uh, VRBO, and it doesn't look like it would be a haunted house. You know, it's it is old, and there are old things inside of it. But it really, there's been so many renovations. It it looks, uh, you know, a bit more um, newer than what the age would actually say online. You know, I truly thought the exact same thing. And that's why I said that the second I stepped foot inside of the home, I stopped and just looked around because you kind of have to see everything all at once and how it's all pieced together. And you really see, it's not antiquated, mm -hmm. but you see how old and historic and how much of a story is within the bones of this home. And it was, it, it caught me off guard because the photos look beautiful. They, uh, you know, it's not like some immaculate, you know, Airbnb that we're staying in, but it was um, a very nice, very spacious home. When you step foot in it, it was kind of just like, oh, wow, this is like a den of horrors in here. Yeah. And it's, you know, even just looking at the outside photo, it looks like the kind of house you would just kind of drive by without even giving it a second glance. And for, you know, that activity to be going on here, it's like, it's just very interesting that some of the most haunted places you go to don't look like they would be. When I first walked in, it felt a little heavy in there. And sometimes, you know, when you go to these places and you enter, you kind of just already feel something and you can't really pinpoint what it is yet. But when I went here, I mean, I definitely felt like a heaviness. I think I remember looking at you and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm getting a vibe here. Like I'm getting like something is, something is here. And I was also like very, uh, taken back by how big it was. I mean, I was not expecting it. It was, it's a big house. But yeah, I just think it's such a unique place, like you said, because it is kind of under the radar. There is a lot that's happened there. And there's so much things that are, that, that she's done the work on verifying as far as people that she says are, um, you know, still live there. Uh, and I think it's amazing. She's just gone above and beyond you know, verifying a lot of these things and looking up the history of a lot of what's happening. And I thought that was very unique. I mean, she pretty much lays out all the history that she has on the house so you can kind of get familiar with it. I mean, she, she's, a, she's a one woman show. For those of you listening, when you walk into the living room that's right to the left off the main entrance to the home, there are numerous booklets filled to the brim with historical text, documentation, and insights dating back um, decades, if, if not into, um, the into the 19th century, walking through every connection that this home has to the past, to mining incidents, to murders, suicides, various deaths. She does, she's done all the historical legwork for you. You can come in there and be incredibly knowledgeable about it in 20 minutes. And the insight it gives you going into the haunt is, it's second to none. And, you know, building off what I said last time, it's so intriguing how few people have been there because these entities, the people who are inside of there, they're just learning how to interact with us. They're just having this opportunity themselves. So the coming months, the coming years are going to be crucial, not only in terms of, you know, building upon the story and the information that we currently have for all them there and why they're there, but also the activity I can only imagine is going to ramp up. She estimated 
that there were about 15 spirits inside of the home. And that was a staggering number for me to hear, to, to picture 15 spirits inside of this, again, spacious, but single, single family home was far more than what we'd expected. But when she mapped out where they all were, who they all were, and what they were doing here, it made a lot of sense. She spoke of a little girl who numerous mediums had come in and identified as standing in the first room on the right when you enter the home, which is a kid's bedroom. She stands inside of the closet, they say, and she just wears a, like a white nightdress. And they tell her that she stays there because she's scared of the other spirits. And so anybody who goes in that room gets nauseous and lightheaded. And I usually don't feed in the things like that. I think it's kind of like pareidolia or just like, you know, placebo effect. You hear it and your mind starts to think that it feels that. But you could not stay in this room for more than 30 seconds. It was, I, I know it's not the right word to, to, to describe the spirit like this, but it was oppressive. It was heavy. It was scary to be in there. And whenever you sat in the living room, you could hear the floorboards in there creaking. And the creepiest thing, we were watching TV, Sylvie and I, on the not too long after she'd arrived, and you'd hear what sounds like somebody sitting down on the edge of the bed. You know, it, they have very nice mattresses there. This one uh, happened to be springs, and you could hear them squeaking and compressing as though something was sitting on them. And I peeked my head in there, nothing looks of that nature, but the sound was unmistakable. She talks about an entire family that has their spirits trapped or willingly staying in this home who stay in the unfinished portions of the basement. Guests can actually hear them moving around boxes in the basement. She talks about a couple Frank and Linda, I believe their name are, who stay in the back bedroom. And they apparently uh, were alcoholics in their life. They're very jovial spirits, she says, but she considers it the most haunted room in the house because if you lay down in the pink room in that bed at night, you'll feel like a spirit, probably Linda or somebody else, who knows, cuddling up against you. There was a doll room, which if, you, if you've seen the TikTok this, of, the, of this home, this was the opening video uh, that was shared on that reel. She refused to turn that room into a bedroom. She said that it was, you know, Realtor 101, you're making an Airbnb, utilize every bedroom, but she refused to give anybody the opportunity to stay the night inside of that room. And she said that there is a, an older woman, not old, old, but like late 20s, mid 30s, and they'd gotten EVPs of her screaming at people and yelling at people and wanting them out of there. And she seems to hang out in the closet and all anybody can get is that it seems as though she may have hung herself in the corner of the room. And she doesn't want anybody in there at all. It goes on and it goes on and it goes on. And the thing about Jackson is that the lineages that date back to this era in time, and even to the more modern deaths and tragedies that happened at this house and in town, all of those lineages are still there. The families are still there. Hmm. It's very hush-hush how so many of these people die because they don't make it public. They don't like to share it. And a lot of people didn't like 
that Elsie was opening up this home and advertising the spirits of former locals who were still inside of there. And it just, she really shared a whole can of worms of some dismay that certain locals felt for it. There's one lady out there, I won't say her name, her entire family has passed. They've been passed for some time. And Elsie had reason to believe that one of the spirits in the basement was her father, Steve. And she asks her and asks her and asks her if she can confirm this or why would her father be here? And at first she denies it again and again and again. But soon Elsie's able to gather evidence sufficient enough to prove that this is Steve. And so this lady starts to like Renege, like, fine, yeah, my dad's down there. And other events start happening that looks like Steve might have somebody with him. And she's like, fine, my mom and my dad are both inside of your house. And then other things keep happening. Like, we're getting all sorts of things on SLS readers. Like, this sounds like more than just two people walking around. And apparently she just burst out one day while Elsie was asking her for like the dozenth time and says, fine, my entire family is dead and inside of your home. <laughs> All the spirits are inside of that house. Is that what you want to hear? Elsie says that she was unwilling or just didn't want to ask her exactly why, but the lady said this and she marched off. And so one of the things now that Elsie seemed pretty confident about and that we even got some evidence affirming is that she believes in the unfinished portion of the basement, one of the areas that she hasn't been able to renovate just yet, that there are bodies buried underneath the concrete slabs in there. She's, she's gotten uh, personal EVPs attesting to this, spirit boxes attesting to this, knocks uh, in response attesting to this. That basement was weird. That basement, the build, the way it was built was very bizarre. The layout just did not make any sense. You know, it just, it gave you like a pause because you're like, what's going on here? Like, why is this built this way? This makes absolutely no sense. It has like this dip in this area and, you know, that already gives you pause. Like what's going on here? Why is it built this way? And then once you start learning the history she told us and everything she's heard and found out, it kind of adds to, okay, well, if you put, start putting these things together, maybe, yeah, maybe there is something here. And, and maybe that is, like, I don't know, that could be a focal point as to why all this activity is happening. I think there is a lot of spirits there, but maybe what's really causing a lot of this is whatever's in the basement because if that's the case, like I can't even imagine what actually happened that led to that. What is your take on, would it be a good idea to dig up that basement? And what if you do find skeletal remains underneath that concrete? Is that good to kind of put these people to a proper burial? Or do you think that might make the hauntings worse in the Airbnb? Both are very possible. The, the only thing that, I, that leads me to believe that it could be the proper route to go is typically you get points in time where a spirit or two might be responsive and lead you towards yes or no questions. 
to things you're wondering. Mm -hmm. But every spirit is so vehemently pointing her towards this and confirming it and saying it. It's as though they are trapped there. And I'm not saying all of them are trapped there, but it almost seems as though if somebody is underneath the concrete, Pete, that Elsie and the people who are coming are being directed to it on purpose because that's the only way those spirits can get out of here is if somebody unearths them. Like everything in the paranormal, you know, it's a uh, speculation. I don't know exactly how it would map out, but usually, you know, I, I, I feel like if they didn't want it, if they were just going to kind of lose their shit, if that happened, I feel like they would be so direct in their responses and their guidance as to where their remains are. To run through some of the most startling things that happened during my time in this Airbnb, I would really have to give like a top five. Number five, we were walking into the back room, the very back of the house, the pink room, as I mentioned, is uh, one of the more haunted rooms in the home. And mind you, this, this bedroom, relative to all the other bedrooms, is kind of secluded from the rest of them. So people will hear you scream if you're in there, but it'll take them a second to get to you. So, you know, keep that in mind if you stay here. Mm -hmm. But um, something that was so visceral of an experience in this home was phantom sense. It's something I had experienced before, but it was so fleeting or it was so minuscule that it was kind of like whatever, or your mind, you know, found a way to kind of just, you know, nix it as evidence. You know, you might've just walked by something, who knows? The phantom sense that loomed around this home at random spots and various odors were ridiculous. We walked into Frank and Linda's back bedroom and bonfire and smoke just hit us, which is exactly what Elsie says um, she gets a lot inside of that room. It was so real that we actually had to like turn off our equipment real fast and just walk around the outside to make sure nothing was lit. But like, you know, we were sitting there like, this is a startling, a startling experience. So real, in fact, that, oh my God, something might actually be on fire. <laughs> so we had, a, we had to look into that real fast, but it was standing right at the entrance to the bedroom. And as soon as we walked out and noticed nothing was there and we came back, it was gone. Hmm. As well, we walked up the stairs coming out of the kitchen uh, from breakfast one morning. And uh, as you get to the top of the stairs, you are just like punched in the face with rose perfume. I'm talking like you're sitting front row at Sunday church and the 80 year old lady who's always there is like walking up and shaking your hand and say, have a blessed day. You know, everybody can kind of picture like the strong ass perfume that is on this lady, mm -hmm. that is what it was. And it just lingered. It sat there in the middle of the stairs and it wavered. It wavered after it kind of just stuck there and we'd all smell it. It moved to the top of the stairs. We could all literally walk around and follow this smell and it would leave where it just was and it would just move about freely until it completely dissipated and was gone it was it was a little thing but again it was one of the most visceral experiences of a very baseline piece of evidence that i'd ever had it was so cool to have something that definitive 
Number four, uh, and this one's very general. <laughs> Number four is laying in bed with the lights off on any given night and hearing footsteps walking around the floors outside. That was, that was just terrifying. Because <laughs> um, I, I had been told that the room I was in, there was not much activity, which is why I picked that room. <laughs> but the one, <laughs> the one thing that they had ever managed to get inside of that bedroom was with an SLS camera and they had captured a figure standing in the middle of the room and when they tried talking to it it fell down backwards onto all fours and spider crawled under the bed <laughs> so i was like oh man well at least nothing's in here except some contortionist horrifying monstrosity right like, oh, that, that sounds terrifying but um let's see Num number number three is definitely we were getting ready to head out to dinner one night and i'm sitting in the living room uh it's 4 30 so the motion activated lights won't come on unless provoked by something in the hallway really big bigger than sylvia and i because we, we weren't turning on the motion activated lights uh, i'm sitting in there watching tv waiting on sylvia and the lights fly on and i kind of just yell out you know you about ready to go sylvia she doesn't respond. Kind of poke my head out in the hallway. I hear that the the, the, uh, the shower is still on. I'm like, oh, what what was that? And then this had to be some of the clearest set of footsteps I'd ever heard. You hear what sounds like two two very distinct walking in tandem with one another, pairs of footsteps walking as though they had just been looking at me from the doorway that from the entrance way to the back of the home that leads back to Frank and Linda's bedroom. You just hear footsteps start from that entryway and walk all the way back to Frank and Linda's room. And I am shook. I'm like, those two are just like standing there watching me. And I kind of am just like, oh, damn, Sylvia, hurry up <laughs> in the shower, whatever you're doing. And he, I just hear her yell back, what? And when she yells, what? It is like the, the experience I had the first morning with the footsteps in the stairs, like tenfold. It's like, pounding footsteps running down the stairs. It almost sounded like someone was like dragging a body and it was just thudding and thumping on every single step. And it moved down the stairs so fast as though it was like a 10 year old skipping every three steps and it's flying down them. And it horrified me. I literally backed up into the wall because I'm just like, okay, did these lights come on? I just walked out into this hallway and every spirit in the home was currently there and was just staring at me and they're all running away now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was just horrifying. Sylvia comes running out. I I wasn't screaming, but I was exclaiming loudly. <laughs> that's uh that's how I'll I'll put it graciously. And I'm kind of looking 360 around the halls, peeking my head into different bedrooms, and when I come back, she's just staring down the stairs and her mouth is a little gape and i look at her I'm like are you all right what's up and she's like connor i don't want to sound weird or freaky out but i swear to god i just saw like a shadow person walk across the hallway down there and so i kind of just tiptoe over there and i put my hands on the railing and i just poke my head over and i look down there i don't see anything but something was there because as i stood there and once i said is anybody there what i had thought was a natural shadow an actual shadow person comes off the wall and walks into the kitchen and i just jump back sylvia and i are both a little rattled obviously but it's so mm -hmm. cool. like i you know i have never seen a shadow person in such full form 
and we stand there and we start talking down there. We, we reintroduce ourselves in case they didn't hear us when Sylvia arrived or when I had arrived the night prior. And we just ask, you know, if someone's down there, can you just let us know? Like, can you give us a yes, we're here, we'll leave you alone, we're getting ready for dinner. And you hear cupboards opening in the kitchen. And she had like snacks laid out on the counter. You can hear those moving about. And it's just like something's in there rustling around in all of the belongings and all of the items down there in the kitchen. And we can't not go down there. You have <laughs> to, right? So I'm just like, okay, let's not rush. Let's not be weird. Let's just walk down there. Let's keep talking to it. It's obviously hearing us and seeing us and responding when we ask for it to give us a sign. Everything is where it's supposed to be. Nothing has moved around. Nothing is out of place. Nothing is in there. And we kind of just look at each other. We're both kind of taken aback. We don't know what to make of that. So we turn around. We walk back upstairs. And we just grab the keys, grab our phones, grab our wallets, and head out to dinner. And just, you know, like, we're kind of just like, let's, let, let's just sit on that one. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's see if that gets any weirder because that was rough. All of the activity like that and kind of a, um, a top-down metric because initially I was going to run through every single night and that just seemed so boring, like you were all going to be listening to a travel itinerary. And I wanted you all to basically hear the evidence that we'd captured, the spirits that we'd encountered, the narrative that we were able to piece together, and just as well, a lot of the information that we weren't certain on, and what's more, Elsie's not even certain on. Because from here, more people can now know about this location. More people can venture out to Jackson, California for themselves, rent out the Airbnb, it's also on VRBO though, just, you know, FYI. And they can add on to it. Because at the end of the day, that's how histories like this, that's how hauntings like this are pieced together, not by, not on some weekend excursion by a couple of investigators, but by joint efforts by various teams and various people that span over the country, that span different degrees of evidence that all comes together to paint a full image for why a place is haunted and how, if necessary, we can fix that. The residents that are still there are, this is their home, right? So if you go there and you're investigating directly, it's it must be exhausting to them, which is kind of how I saw it. So when you just kind of pay them no mind, they'll come along and kind of let you know that you're there. For all of you wanting to rent out uh, Bethany's home sweet haunted home, you can search that very name on Airbnb, on VRBO, and you can go out there uh, for yourself. And she will no doubt be willing to come there one night, investigate with you, walk you through the history, uh, invite a local historian to the home to uh, chat with you as well as she did for us. And truly, it'll probably be one of the more 
horrifying weekend stays of your life, but it'll be absolutely worth it. And just as well, she's so incredibly hospitable. Uh, the home is made to look spooky to add to that aesthetic, which is really cool for the experience. There is uh, ghost hunting equipment available there for you to use if you didn't bring any of your own or if you rented the place not knowing it was haunted and kind of think it might be a cool thing to, uh, to dabble with for a family vacation, as some have, apparently. But the other side of that is like, it is daunting, you know, because when you're with the, where you go to sleep is kind of where you find peace and where you, you know, it's your safe space. So to know, like, I already had made it up in my mind, like, I'm probably not going to sleep a lot when, <laughs> when I go here, because you kind of all, one, you want to see if you capture anything. So that kind of makes you want to stay up as late as possible. And two, it's, you know, you just don't know what's happening. Like you just, it's very hard to sleep knowing that you're in a, a location like that. I really encourage you to reach out to her directly on Instagram. And hopefully by doing so, we can all really build onto this narrative and build onto this history. And soon enough, find out if anything's in the basement and find out who the rest of the spirits there are outside of the half that she's been able to identify so far. As always, take a look at the show notes for this episode to find links to the Haunted Historian's Instagram and TikTok to follow along on all our spooky adventures wherever they may be taking us around the country. And don't forget to submit your own paranormal experiences to the email linked on our social media, hauntednarrative at gmail.com, for a chance to join the team for a future episode. Until next week, this is Connor Gossel of The Haunted Historian, signing off and wishing you and your team happy hunting. The Haunted Historian podcast is written by Connor Gossel and produced by Josh Hughes, with original scoring created by Tyler Quinn.